0: Hello, I'm Scott Sashner. I'm Evan Novi williams And
1: I'm Michael Barr, and this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we are joined in studio by a special guest, Commissioner of the National Lacrosse League, Nick Sakevich, who is going to join us to talk about some of the stories we're looking on. Nick, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Okay,
2: it's great to be here, guys. Thanks.
3: Coming in studio. We love when they come in studio. Yeah end of the month. You got another
2: season 35? 34. 34. 34. That's... It's the, it's the eve of our anniversary of our 35th season, which will be next wow. year.
3: 35. Yeah. That's, that's not nothing when
2: you see no. leagues like don't even make it through a season these days. Yeah, it's very true. We're very proud of that. It's going to be a spectacular year with an all-time record number of teams this year, 13 teams, mm-hmm. one here in New York city. Now you have some background
3: in MLS and Evan and I, and I mean, we follow this closely and we say, wait, how many, teams does MLS have now? Like, it, it just seems yeah. there's this never-ending addition and expansion of MLS teams. But also now, your eye is on the prize moving forward. You've got two new teams this year, including New York Riptide.
2: That's right. That's right. Well, MLS, I have more than a cup of coffee there. It's 21 yep. years of my <laughs> life uh, and slogging soccer tickets for 21 years. But that, that league's been really a gestation of 35 years of soccer in America. And I, I look at lacrosse, and I see it similarly. It's kind of where soccer was in the 80s, and it's about to explode with all these kids playing uh, playing the sport of lacrosse at the grassroots level. Yeah, so
0: I'm actually I'm, I'm curious about that. It, it felt like lacrosse had this big moment like eight or nine years ago. The you know the, the, the NCAA semifinals and finals was, was a big deal for ESPN. In my opinion, it seems like it's cooled off a little bit. Am I wrong on that? How do you kind of assess the health of the sport? Right now,
2: I think it's never been better. Um, You know, maybe that particular event uh, cooled off a little bit because of the size of the venues that they played in. And they also
3: moved, like Baltimore always did uh, very well. Then they moved to like uh, Philadelphia and New England.
2: Yeah, it's a one off event. And, and, you know, there's always moments in that sport, in a developing sport like lacrosse. I lived those moments in soccer for two decades. But I say the sport's never been in a better place because there's more and more kids playing the game. All the All the football moms and dads that don't want to let their kids play American football and still like to hit people are picking up lacrosse sticks. (laughs) So you guys are seeing that direct kind of correlation Our our attendance grew 27% last year. We did nearly a million fans through our (laughs) turnstiles across 11 uh, 11 teams. This year will be 13 teams with the New York Riptide here in New York. So I want to invite all of you guys to a New York Riptide game right in – behind the glass where we have our seats.
1: Well, I have to say, there is a lot more exposure today on TV, streaming, whatever, to lacrosse than what it was 20 years ago. Absolutely. And
2: we're seeing it show up in the types of athletes we're getting. You know, our sport is changing color. You know, we're seeing a lot of diversity in our sport. We're very proud of the fact that 10% of our players are indigenous North American People's, uh, as well as you're seeing a lot of big six foot six guys of. A different backgrounds starting to pick up lacrosse sticks. The, they the were tight playing. ends and the power forwards yeah. are now looking yeah. elsewhere. Exactly, <laughs> they were playing football, but you can't you can't hit people in soccer or basketball, and they like to the physicality of the sport. So we're seeing a lot of those athletes coming in.
0: Can you give us a sense of kind of what the economics for the NLL is? Is it driven by ticket? Is it driven by media? Is it driven by sponsorship? Kind of how does it compare to, to, yes, to, yes to other yes. leagues? yes,
2: yes, 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 and yes? Sure. Mostly, you know, right now, like Major League Soccer was in the early days, you know. Ninety percent ticket sales and sponsorship, and mm. um, we're, we're very excited to have announced some big sponsors uh, last year. We're gonna, we're announcing. You know, seems like we're making an announcement every week uh, the last couple of months here with new sponsors joining our league. So it is very much ticket and sponsor. We do have a media deal, so we have a media rights deal with Turner Sports and BR Live, as you guys probably know. Um, we're in the second year of that long-term deal, and it's exciting because these broadcast partners see the future of the sport. They're investing in it now. You know, it's not big; it's little. But you know, MLS was little in 1995 when I joined the league, and it's a pretty big league now. So, if you kind of look around corners and see the millennial and Gen Z generation coming, and they're coming in big mass.
3: You know uh, what I see, Nick? They're us. I see who wants to put their money in where. Yeah. I, so I look at you. I look at. NLL investors, Joe Tai recently in, Pagula Sports, Cronky Sports and Entertainment. These ain't nobody's in the business. They see something.
2: No, we have of our 13 owners, we have nine that are billionaires, uh, five NHL teams, two NFL teams, two NBA teams, um, and the independent owners are extraordinarily uh, well-resourced uh, investors in the sport. And that, and you have to invest in the sport. I mean, we watched it. I worked for Phil Anschutz and Robert Kraft and uh, Lamar Hunt for many years with MLS. They put their money where their mouth is.
0: There was a new entrant into the professional lacrosse league world this year, mm-hmm. uh, the PLL, which is an outdoor league, not an indoor league, so not a kind of a direct competitor of yours. Did you see the market Change is it? Was it better? Was it worse? How did the market change, if it did at all, for you guys? Suddenly, with another professional lacrosse league in the U.S.
2: Well, it had a very positive effect for, on our league um, because all of our players um, had the opportunity to play in that mm. league as well as the uh, MLL. So we have about eighty players total that play in both of those leagues. Um, of the top twenty players in both those leagues, seventeen of them played in the NLL. Mm. Of the top so it's it was really good for us it gives our players the ability to go and make earn extra money in the off season all of those players that play in both leagues are full-time lacrosse athletes and that's what the sport really needs so there was a direct benefit to to us from a operational player standpoint Um, From a commercial standpoint, you know, we're having great conversations with those leagues. And uh, as you know, many of our players play in both of those leagues. So we want to uh, we want
1: to grow the sport. They did a great job, PLL, in their launch. I think what's really cool is that I'm hearing more names of top lacrosse players becoming more mainstream.
2: They are. They're starting to, you know, but it's our job as leagues to make them more mainstream, to put them out in front. And that and one of the great benefits of having sponsors like Geico and Michelob Ultra and Hennheiser That's Bush a good commissioner right there. Yeah, got yeah, the yeah. sponsors <laughs> in. <laughs> and, and our broadcast partner is to expose our athletes, is to get them out. They, they've got great stories to tell. Uh, they're superhuman athletes. Is
3: it more of a partnership now than ever before because of social media and the players' ability to take their message directly to fans?
2: A partnership with the players? Yeah. yeah and,
3: and sort of promoting the game itself.
2: Yeah, no doubt. Um, this year, a couple months ago in September, we had our first uh, player business summit. So we had 13 players, active players, many of them star players in our league, come to Philadelphia, and we did a a business summit on how we can activate better on social and how those players can become more relevant, and also ideas on how to grow the league and the sport. It was really beneficial.
0: I tweeted about this earlier this week, but it kind of shocked me. ESPN put out a poll of NHL players earlier this week, and one of the questions they asked was, would you be comfortable appearing in a national television ad campaign with a company like Gatorade or Nike? Or would you feel like that was putting yourself ahead of the team? And over a third of the NHL players they surveyed said they would not want that deal <laughs> because of kind of the dynamic within the team that shocked me. I agree. I think we're kind of in this new age where athletes, you know, because of social media and just are, are probably more savvy about mm-hmm. their own brands and the benefits that they can do by leveraging their stardom on the ice or on the court or on the field. Does that surprise you? I mean, is lacrosse a different—do you think your your guys would have a different answer to that? It,
2: does, it doesn't surprise me about hockey because—and those guys say that because they are really blue-collar, you know— uh, lunch pail mm. athletes. I mean, they are amazing athletes, but they, it's all about the team. It's all about the culture there. Um, for us, we, we see that from, from a little bit from some of the players that come from that culture. As you know, we have a big Canadian influence for sure. in our league. As well, but you know we see some new up and coming players like Trevor Baptiste in Philadelphia, who's just a marketing dynamo and the best faceoff guy in the league. Uh, Matt Rambo, who is PLL's most valuable MVP, player, yeah. he's another big star in Philadelphia. I
3: come from Gary Gate, Paul Gate, Tommy Marachek. I'm yeah. a Syracuse guy, so yeah. I know those boys. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. So we're seeing that we're seeing the change, though. We're seeing players like Rambo and uh, Baptiste really embrace social media and get themselves out there. It
1: helps the league. The Commissioner of the National Lacrosse League, Nick Sakevich. Thank you so much, sir, for joining us. He's not leaving us. Oh, he's
3: gonna he's gonna stick around for some topics. Absolutely, well,
1: I know that. But I mean, the whole morning, I wanted, yeah. I wanted, <laughs> I well, yeah. See, you, and he's <laughs> gonna do some newscasts, too. Yeah. Well, if, you, yeah. if he wants to do your job. I mean, how hard can it be? <laughs> Coming and join us now. I got to do my uh, to my tribute to the late Keith Jackson. Oh boy! For this next topic. Oh, Nelly, there's Lord. Let's see, gentlemen. Let's talk about a big, big game in college football coming this weekend. Nellie LSU heading to Alabama to take on the Crimson Tide.
3: You you watch that, Nick? You excited for (laughs) LSU-Alabama knowing there's still a playoff down the road?
2: I am, actually. I did a lot of business in Birmingham way back in what the day. What business did you in Birmingham? What do we got there? I did uh, insurance, uh, in auto insurance in Birmingham, Alabama. Really? Some of the best game hunting around. Mm. Does it, doesn't
3: Saban <laughs> have a, a car dealership? He does. He has a Mercedes. Hey, oh, dealership. So, yeah, there you go. You should have hooked yeah. up so with Saban. I that's good business. A lot of football back then. <laughs> yeah, what do they say? There's two seasons in Alabama? Yeah, yeah. Football and spring football? 100%. <laughs> that's yeah. exactly uh, it's, <laughs> it. Evan, give me some numbers on these programs. I mean, for, I mean, obviously, we, number one and number two, that's why it's important. But give me some financial numbers.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so Alabama has a $177 million athletic budget. LSU, a little bit lower, 145. Football, obviously, the main driver there. The Alabama football team makes $111 million in revenue <laughs> wow. every year. LSU is a little yes, lower not, on, yeah. on 86. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie on f-
3: by the way, a former Syracuse assistant.
0: A former teacher of yours, right?
3: Yes. Uh, we were called uh, a Demo, I think, when we had to take one of these physical classes in the carrier dome. It was really for guys who were going to try out for the football team as walk-ons. I mean, I was like, yeah, maybe I'll try it as a kicker. I can do this. It's fun. But here I am in these classes running cones and doing strength drills with Really good athletes, and I'm like, wait, who's that guy over there? So right. you
0: always ask Michael Barr to do impressions. Can we get an Ed Orgeron impression? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Gumbo. laughs> Very good, very good. He so, said, Nick, I actually want to get your, I want to get your thoughts on this because the game, you know, one of the biggest, probably the biggest college football game of the year, it's appearing on TV at 3:30, 2:30 Eastern, or 2:30 local, instead of in prime time, which was a decision that CBS made earlier in the year. So CBS has the right to pick you know which college which game of the week they want they get one primetime game a year and they elected before the season started to do Georgia Notre Dame earlier in September um, is that a mistake do you think I mean the do you think they would they like to go back and change that or, or do you think this is fine to have it not in a primetime slot
2: I, I don't know because I'm not on the inside of that business I certainly know those guys over yeah. there they're extremely smart but it sounds to me like a digital, gen z millennial streaming opportunity to mm. me and getting those kids uh kids they're adults now man i'm 58 <laughs> years old i feel like they're not kids anymore they're driving our economy but um but it sounds like a strategic play to get a new young audience uh, pretty revved up about it so i bet i imagine the bars will be pretty full at mm. three o'clock I agree. I, and you know darn well that notre dame at night will do just fine anyway
1: that's that's true. <laughs> now, by the way, if you guys want to know before we move on to the next topic, uh, the spread on the game, Alabama's giving up 6.5. The total point spread is 63.5 for the over and under. I'm laying the points. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, moving right along, next story. One that you guys broke yesterday on Bruins Sports Capital – and how the sports and entertainment firm run by former NASCAR and IMG executive George Pine is raising six hundred million dollars from CVC Capital Partners and the Jordan Company to fund its expansion.
3: All right, so our friend George Pine is out there. He's big game hunting now. You know he's got Delta Trey. He's got, but he's he, he's 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 got some money to spend. I'm in a pitch meeting with Nick Sakevich. You want somebody as the next owner in NLL? Let me hear that that elevator pitch.
2: Well, we have a private equity company that owns the New York Riptide, uh, GF, Capital GF Capital, and G, yep. GF Sports. Hank Ratner's um, and,
3: involved there, the former that's right CEO. And, of they, MSG. and
2: they made a strategic uh, investment in the National Lacrosse League. Why? Because it's the it's the next big thing. It's the it's the sport of Gen Z and Millennial. It's what's coming down the pike. We're a young audience, uh, and we're driving value at a very low investment level. Does
3: that private equity mindset worry you at all? Sort of three, five, six-year horizon, and then onto something else?
2: It it did initially when we started talking to them, but then understanding what their long-term play was and what their long-term vision was is, was really important. I mean, look, we did that in MLS as well uh, and got a private equity investor into Soccer United Marketing, and the exit was great for everybody. So um, we're not afraid of it as long as we understand what the long-term play is of that equity fund.
0: Let's go outside lacrosse for a second. You have the $600 million that Bruin had you can't invest it in lacrosse. What are you looking at in in the sports media entertainment? What, what interests you as a, as a good investment right now?
2: There's a lot of uh, l- l- a high value, low kind of low hanging fruit in in all sports that are out there right now. I happen to be very familiar with soccer, so I know mm. that exists around the world, and also technology. Um, I think. Uh, sports betting is driving a lot of technologies. Um, we are just announcing today a deal with Sports Logic, company up in Montreal, very, very uh, good example of a uh, high value, low entry point investment. So if I'm in private equity, which I'm not, I'm looking at those types of opportunities
1: finally here's one right up your alley evan we're talking about forbes and they're out with the list of valuations for esports companies
0: i've become the go-to esports person on the podcast <laughs> yes you um, yeah, speaking of, a That's,
3: yes <laughs>
0: speaking of a couple hundred million dollars yeah this is the the second time forbes has put out its list of the most valuable esports franchises the top two uh tied at the top cloud nine solo mid both worth 400 million dollars right now Mm-hmm. Um, which is a pretty wild number. Um, and, and you know, the folks who saw Mark Cuban's comments last week, there, there's a lot of people that think that this well, you is a business. said it's a bad business, yeah. um, said a lot of teams are losing money. I know personally, there are a lot of teams out there that are trying to raise money at valuations that, you know, they're not getting, they're not getting the terms that they, that they were expecting. Um, but 400 million dollars that's a that's a nice chunk the, the the most valuable mls franchises are worth a little bit more than that maybe yeah, there right are there are a handful of nhl franchises that would probably trade at lower than that number um what do we think about the? What do we think about four hundred million and dollars? Nick, your, t-
3: your take on an esports franchise and these valuations—whether it's
2: esports or MLS or NLL, i mean, we've had a six hundred percent increase in the last three years ourselves in, in franchise valuations. And bottom Is that line: book
3: value or promise of what's to come?
2: No, that's you know what the last team paid for. <laughs> your, oh, no, I, I know. So what's your real, average? Can you give real. us a
0: number of? of- some kind of metric to give people an understanding.
2: Yeah, I mean relative to those other sports we're still small but I think Joe
3: Tide paid about 5 million
2: bucks. But we're okay. we're selling franchises now and it's in eight figures. Yeah. You know, so so it's it's serious. Um, but uh, my point is, is that it's waterfront real estate. There's only a certain number of teams you can buy in any certain league. And the more that sell, there become fewer and fewer. And if you own one, it becomes valuable. So they're not making any more of waterfront real estate. So I I equate it to that. And that's why you're seeing a lot of these values drive up
0: for folks who listen to our podcast a lot. We had the CEO of Gen G, the esports team, on a couple months ago. Uh, they're number six at 185 million. And then last year we had the founder of G2, Carlos uh, Rodriguez, on the podcast. They're number nine at, at 165 million. One of the things that shocked me about this list, it maybe doesn't shock me, but I think it stood out: the multipliers on these. And this is obviously the multiplier revenue is just one way to think about valuations. But some of these teams are valued at 20, 21, 22 times. The, the revenue they're coming in, that seems like a very lofty number. Especially, I mean, even though it's a—it's an industry there's that has Mark a, has a yeah.
2: again Again, well, the it's, it's waterfront real estate. Yeah. And there's only a certain number of these franchises that you can buy. And if you own one, it's really
1: highly valuable.
3: There's only one Michael Barr. There's a scarcity value. We get to sit next to him. I mean,
1: what would we pay for that experience? Uh, about 13 cents. Yeah, <laughs> yeah wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> Nick, oh, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for I having me. This it. is great. Love uh, talking business. Oh, it was cool. Thank you. This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports Podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scott Soschnick and Evan Novi williams We're here every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday exploring the world of money and sports. Join us again at the end of the week when we speak with Hugh Weber, president of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. Oh, Nelly on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online, wherever you get your podcasts.